Welcome to Winning Uglier with Brad Gilbert. Hey everyone, in this episode we have sports psychologist Jeff Greenwald on as a guest who's the author of the bestseller, The Best Tennis of Your Life. Jeff had a great college career at UC Santa Barbara and played a few years on the tour, but he never thought he was able to get the most out of his game, and that's what led him to get into his current field, and I think what's most impressive is that he's been really successful at implementing what he's learned on his own game. Uh, He became number one in the world in the ITF Men's 35 division, and he was a recent inductee into the Northern California Tennis Hall of Fame. My dad and I pick Jeff's brain on various questions regarding the mental game. These include focusing on how you're playing versus fixation on the result and controlling emotions, playing under pressure, bridging the gap between practice and matches, and getting out of a funk. Uh, Jeff and my dad also have some, I think, good back and forth in regards to my dad's, you know, mentality as a player of, of playing it safe under pressure versus the mentality that that Jeff tries to teach of playing loose and often with a like a controlled aggression. Please go to Jeff's site fearlesstennis.com for free weekly newsletter tips and online courses and my my dad was really excited to get into this conversation so we pretty much just jump right into the thick of it. So, hope you guys enjoy. Jeff, after a successful college tennis career and a handful of years playing on tour, what led you to wanting to be a sports psychologist? I guess it was the nagging realization that I was playing safe too often. Juniors, college, pro, just holding back. Didn't want to miss, as you know, a little perfectionism in there. And uh, and so I just found that in playing in Germany, I started playing fr- freely. And I, w- I was really curious about the difference between practice and matches and why was I playing loose all of a sudden. And I, I went back to school after that. But I, I just found that playing safe drove me sufficiently crazy. And uh, I wanted to remedy that for sure. So then I would probably make you crazy because when I would go into some sort of a lockdown mode or whatever, that's all I thought about sometimes is just not missing, being safe, you know, to kind of like figure things out on the court. Yeah, well, I had, you know, uh, Nick Nick teaching me that area's forehand, with which Andre grabbed a hold of and did his own thing with. But I had a forehand and speed uh, and uh, I guess born tenacious, but that wasn't enough. I didn't have the, cer- the cerebral uh, capabilities as uh, BG. And so I would, I would, uh, I had two, you know, two gears rip or, or, or a bit too safe, roll it short. And I got dictated to, I just didn't know what I didn't know, uh, back in the day. And so that, that made it challenging for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't realize you, you, um, were at Nick's when you were younger, uh, Boletaries. What, what ages were, did you train there from? I was there the second year of the academy in the motel, 19, oh, okay. wow. 1978 maybe, right? So it was the second year in the motel with, you know, with uh, Anna Concarita 
uh, you know, Jimmy and, and, and Carling and all, you know, and wow, you're old school, old school, big time, big time. And then, and then I went home for a couple of years, ran around trying to get enough tennis. And then I went back down for a year and a half. So when they had the, the, the resort and so forth in Bradenton, but yeah, that was an interesting experience for sure. Yeah. You, I, I spent a year there, um, when I was, uh, yeah, like senior year of high school and, um, you know, obviously already by then it's this, you know, IMG had taken over and it's a massive complex, but, um, still, uh, yeah, it was a whole nother animal in terms of like ramping up the level of training from, from what I was used to in, in Northern California. It was a, but it, you know, it was sort of like a, a trial by fire situation and I definitely got a lot better doing it. Well, I called Lord of the Flies down there, right? You yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. And what better training, you know? Uh, you're out there and you feel like your life depends on it, win or lose in a practice court to get on a better court, right? So so it was good in that way. I felt like, you know, the first time that I went down there when I was 20, you know, aside from the coaching, that it was just real. It was like, okay, here you're over with like eight or 10 players and it's like, okay, I want to move up. It, it, it's like, win, go down, win, go up. It was pretty simplistic. He had the, he had the, you know, hit the clipboard and, you know, you knew he'd be asking you, how'd you do? Did you win? End of story, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so Jeff, I, I wanted to ask you, um, like, what did you learn um, in, in your words going from a, a modestly, being a modestly ranked pro when you were in your 20s to, I know you, um, then that's when you, um, you know, went to school for getting your, getting your master's and then got licensed, but going from there from becoming a, a modestly ranked pro to being the best player in the world in the 35 and overs and winning that ITF world title. I think, uh, you know, I found, uh, the, an upward spiral where again, coming back to being so frustrated, I found that playing safe and tight and, and, and not playing as well as I could play was so intolerable that I went to explore what, what, how do we bring our best more often, especially when we want to win, which is what uh, we are all trained to think, you know, win and focus on that. And, and there's a tension because you don't know if you're going to win for sure. Um, Brad, you know, always was in, how am I going to win? Which is very different than will I or won't I? And that's a really fundamental difference, right? So I went and I figured out, okay. And I used the skills I was learning men's opens and, uh, you know, did very well there and playing Scott Draper. He's 110 in the world. I'm 38 years old and I'm up five, three in the third on Draper. And I'm same with Jeff Morrison, who just won the NCAA. And I started to basically play more freely, started to hit deeper, harder results were coming in. So that's the upward spiral. Once you see that playing loose and on your terms, et cetera, works, it, it just it builds on itself. Was it the sports psychology in you or the coach in you that re-helped your game in this situation that maybe when you were younger, you weren't able to, to handle that or do that? I mean, no question, you know, the the ability to, to manage those moments in a, in a real way. Uh, I didn't have that capability as a kid. I would, I'd make, I'd miss a shot. I thought I'd win every point uh, as a kid, right? You, you think uh, you lose a game you should have won you feel like the, the, the floor is opening up. And, and we know from O'Shaughnessy's work, right, that 52 
you're in good shape, 45%, you're going to probably lose anyway when you go out and play. You're going to lose that much. And so it, it's, you know, some of it's perspective and realizing that you, you're down a set, you know, you're still in this thing. When I was down at the SAP playing qualies and I um, uh, playing Morrison, I was, uh, I was ace four times in the first game. I saw Leighton Hewitt come in the door. Leighton was, I think he was around number one in the world. And he, he and Saviano, a bunch of guys, they're all lined up at courtside. And I'm playing, uh, and, I, and I got ace four times in a row, but I won the set 6-2. So that ability to – and I, I just walked to the chair and I started smiling. like you know, And that's a big difference to smile when you're under pressure versus, oh, no, life is caving in on me. So perspective change for sure. You know, it's, it's funny is sometimes in life – the right timing, you know, isn't there. And it sounds like you just found yourself, you know, as you've got older and, and it was about the whole thing of being perfect when you were younger. You know, it, it, it started to be, there's this dichotomy between, you know, every player and you know, Brad, we've talked about this where junior players are so obsessed with winning and, and will they win? Will they lose? And how's it going to go and everything else? And when you realize that when you focus on the things that will actually help you win, it, it, it's, it's a whole different environment in there, right? And you've said, I think you said this, you know, I, I, I hate to lose, but I'm not scared to lose. And, and I think you said that. That's a, that's a huge, uh, I think, a, a great example. Well, I'm, not, I'm certainly not going to obsess over losing before it happens. And I figure if it happens, it always happens when that umpire says those four valuable words. If he says game, set, match, Gilbert, I'm all good. But if he says the other one, that's the reality. That's the only time, actually, I would think about it. Absolutely. I mean, Michael Jordan said that. Why would I think about winning and losing? I've got a basketball game to play. You know, it's, but, but honestly, uh, you know, this is a really big and growing challenge. The UTR and all this, the parents are checking it. The kids are checking it. And, and you ask them how they did. All they'll say, I won, I lost, I'll get texts. I tell kids, I don't want to hear won or, won or lost. And I want you to tell me how it went. What did you do differently? What did you implement what you said you would implement? Uh, and then give me the win-loss at the end. But I got a kid, you know, he, he would just send me six, I lost, six, two, six, two, or whatever. Uh, I want to hear the details, right? Because that's where that's that upward spiral that's going to take. Yeah, that's well said. I, one of my biggest pet peeves is somebody said, you know, I played like shit or he got lucky, but there's no description of how the match actually went. But usually he got lucky or I played terrible. <laughs> there's a lot in between, right? Yeah. How do you help players stop being fixated by the result? The whole fear of the result, you know, leading up to match play. Yeah. Um, so I'd say a few things. I mean, it's a re-brainwashing on one, for one, just a blanket. Say. It's like the brainwashing, as we were just talking about, how did you win, did you lose? How did you do? There's, in golf, you say, how'd it go? How'd you play? You know, but tennis, how'd you do? Did you win? And, and it, this conversation gets very narrow. So basically it's a, it's, really imploring them to focus on the things they have control over getting uh becoming almost a rebel against this constant win lose win lose and what are you going to do today what are your two intentions for the match 
what, what are you going to commit to? What are you willing to do? When you're tight, feel anxious, your body says, uh, you know, just roll it back. Can you, can you work with that? Are you going to be held hostage by that? You know, or is it going to be a little bit of a heavier backpack? You're tight, you're feeling it. Can you, can you still, can you refocus on your target? Can you refocus as you talk about on your tactic and what you want to do to hurt them? Can you get your brain back online? So teaching players to, to, to use their, their frontal lobe as opposed to the part in the brain, the amygdala that tells you you got a bear on your back and you better, you better, uh, you know, fight for your life. But, but, ki- but kids, adult players, you know, league players, club players, they don't have the tools available. So there's no options. It's like, so it's teaching them the, the options, the strategies, some techniques and not to panic when they feel anxious. So I uh, help them not, you know, play through that. And when they can do that and feel like they're not going to, and, and that they're willing still to step in and, and play their game, uh, they feel more confident that they're not going to get derailed, hijacked. I, I never understood this, Jeff, until I went to college, you know, because obviously, you know, as a junior player, you know, it, I had my annoying dad and just den- tennis career. And then all of a sudden I start playing college. I was shocked how many of my teammates would be so fearful and worried about the result or letting coach down or letting the team down. And they would ask me like, you know, are you panicked about tomorrow? And I, and I would always say like, I'm only thinking about my second serve. Maybe the guy's going to chip in charge on my second. What am I going to do to protect that? What am I going to do to attack this guy's lousy forehand? So I was always thinking about tactics. And I think that's why my game maybe blossomed in college because so many guys were getting nervous and I was actually, it wasn't about nervous. It's just about execution for me at that point. Well, it made you a few bucks too, didn't it? <laughs> just thinking about like, you know, what you could do, but I was really shocked yeah. at that. How many players yeah. that, whoa, it's like, we're two days out and you're panicked about the result. Look, I mean, you know, I I want to win. I want to win. I want to. I don't want to lose. If I go out there, I'd like to. But more importantly, I want to play well. I want to play. I want to execute, like you were just saying, execute my intentions. If I play loose, aggressive, move the ball around, get in a few times, uh, you know, and and uh, manage that, I'm happy. Like I want to win, but to get fixated on that, it's really the elephant in the room, and 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 helping players move more Azarenka I think did that a lot of players you know as they learn about that we have more control ironically over what we're thinking and where we're putting our attention then we do the results so why should why would we spend our time in the unproductive uh, uh, place and, and easier said than done I know but uh, trying to override this constant uh, you know hijacking and worrying about worrying you know anxious about being anxious you know and I think a good segue from that and talking about um, kind of realizing the power that you do have to control um, where your thoughts are going and, and focus on uh, the elements of your game that are under your control as opposed to just the overall fixation on on winning, which certainly doesn't factor in, you know, the element of sometimes your opponent's too good on a given day. And I'm just thinking more um, in terms of like, what do you uh, help your clients work on to to both increase their focus or, or maintain that focus for longer periods of time and as well as like t- 
to, to control the emotions and, and to stop that, that, that feeling of, of maybe panic setting in or, or frustration setting in? Yeah, great question. I mean, a couple of things. One is, you know, look, we all have negative thoughts. They come in. And, and, you know, I, I was playing Clavette, you know, in the last uh, national 40s last year. And I'm, I'm down 2-0, love. I hadn't won a point yet. And I thought, geez, you're going to get bageled here. I had that thought. It just popped in. And then I, I, I smiled at the thought. I'm like, really? Wow. And then I won the set 7-6, you know. And, uh, you know, these you got to be able to get to the next thought, right? If you have a negative thought, it's okay. You, but if you panic you're going to, it's going to be the downward spiral. So it's kept being more aware of the thoughts that come in, being able in particular to focus your attention on things that are relevant, like the ball and your target and your tactic, right? And so it's this external focus. People talk about being focused, but you got to have the right focus at the right time. So when you're, you know, when the, when the guy's up to serve and you're thinking about, should I go down the line or, you know, whatever, you need to be dialed in externally tracking the ball etc and there's times to be internal a little tactical adjustment maybe a little bit of letting go of the tension you know there's these moments but you need to know and and in particular focusing externally on on ball and targets and and when you have negative thoughts and you're getting nervous get your focus out of yourself we get self-conscious we can get stuck in the web and now you're just in this, this spiral but to get your focus back to what's relevant, ball targets, et cetera. Brad, you mentioned a spot on the fence or something, you know, uh, uh, on the back of, of the court, finding a spot. I did that too, naturally. Just go, go, just go find like something that you can take your mind off of the moment. So like I would always go touch something or go walk something, just do, you know, something a little bit quirky. But I take it back, and how much do you try to help the players with this one word that I, I feel like encapsulates sometimes match play and everything, just compete. You know, don't worry about what's going to happen, but the one thing you can control is just compete it. And words like that are huge. Battle, compete, you know, uh, it, 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 it says a lot, right? So, so having these, these words that are meaningful, these cues, you know, you're out there and it's four all in the third, you know, break point or, and, and you look, there's people watching, et cetera. And, you, and part of you is saying, oh, shit, right? But the other part of you, you know, then you access, say, yeah, you know, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else right now. This is where I want to be. And so, but words like that, battle, compete, love it, uh, you know, can have a lot of, can pack a punch in these, these pressure moments for sure. You know, I just, you know, would always think about, you know, simplistically like, okay, if I got something working well, just keep doing it, you know, and don't be afraid to to not overplay something that's working. Yeah, yeah, I think we can, we, you know, the doubt creeps in, it's always there, that shadow of doubt, should I keep it, will they, you know, be on to, to me and, but you're right, like if something's working, because you don't know what's going on the other side, and then they could be packing, packing it in, folding up the tent, and so you don't want it to to be changing. Obviously, a winning game. I mean, well, yeah, know. I'm, I'm, I'm like, notice how often the, the the overthinking, you know, of a certain situation can can become a big element. And just like what my dad was saying, like how he was all about, you know, if a strategy is working, stick to it. And uh, I mean, we even do a a, a listener 
question component um, to some of the episodes. And that was one of the questions we just got in, like, how long do I stick to, to a tactic if it's working? Like, when do I change it up? You know, obviously, if, if you know, you, you're aware that, you know, and notice that your opponent is catching on, then yeah, and maybe the, you know, the, the momentum of the match starts shifting, okay, you can change it up. But a lot of times people are just overthinking when things are going well, what they need to, you know, be doing it and, and, and overcomplicating it. I totally agree. And if you think about it, so if you're playing you're, and your balls are landing, you know, maybe, you know, foot past the service line or whatever it is, and, and it's not working, you're down 4-1, and they, when they're thinking, what, what do I do before the ship sinks? It's like, well, how deep are your balls? I mean, how, down, how much down the middle are you playing here? Versus you get another foot of depth or three inches at the high level, what's that going to do to your opponent? What's a little depth and a little movement? with your ball going to do instead of abandoning ship so quick. So I'm big on, I'm big on shifting your state, you know, or how are you loose focus and intensity? Those are my three dials. I teach loose focus intensity. If you're a little too tight, hitting too short, you got to f- know how to loosen it up. If your focus is off and you're on the outcome in the future, you got to get it back to targets and present and intensity. You got to have intensity in the feet, right? So I teach these three dials so players can, feel like they got a finger on the knob instead of it's, you know, I'm not focused today. It's a bad day, et cetera. And I just think adjusting your state's pretty crucial. Maybe before you even make some tactical change, that's not really your game in the end anyway. So that's pretty smart. I mean, I used, I mean, the feet are connected to the brain, but I was that knucklehead that I always kind of started out not like, playing for, I just kind of started out with my legs. It was like, okay, it's almost like to see what's going to happen first. If I use my legs to run down a few balls, you kind of can, you know, figure out, okay, is this going to work? If it's not going to work, then I have to change something. Well, the feet are a great one. Legs, like you say, Brad, like that, that connects to focus. So good high intensity is going to probably increase your focus, your mental focus, right? If you lose focus, you're going to lose some intensity too. So these dials kind of go together a bit. Uh, but feet is a great one. Plus, it's a, it's the furthest thing from your from your head anyway. So that's another benefit. Right? <laughs> I like it. All right, what advice you give someone that's struggling while under pressure? You know the the four or five games, the five four games that they're playing pretty good, but it's those games that determine sets and matches that they're struggling in. Yeah, I mean, two things I, I'd say. I mean, look, controlled aggression is pretty crucial because it's easy to go black or white, all or nothing on that, where, you know, you're, you're okay, I'm going to blast to be aggressive or uh, I just want to get it back. And I think that happy medium is important. So players really get clear about what is controlled aggression, what's the shape of their ball and what, what kind of they want to do in those situations. Uh, but also back to the sort of focus because it's easy to get caught in the score and now they're feeling a little tight and getting their focus again externally on targets, watching the opponent's shoes step up to the line, tracking the ball, getting out of themselves on these big points because um, we tend to go inside when we're a little nervous or we think it's uh, crunch time. How, how important and crucial is for players that you work with patterns in this situation? I would think when I'm sitting on the changeover, it's 5-4, I'm coming out to serve for it. All I'm thinking about, serve wide, first ball, if I get anywhere towards the center, hit an off approach, come in, cover down the line. So I'm almost thinking for three shots on the first point. So I'm like really thinking about a pattern, what I want to have happen on the first point. 
Yeah, I think patterns are, are really helpful. And depending on the player, some get get a little bit too caught up in, in, in that and maybe too rigid and they're not flexible enough. So I find that uh, I feel that out with, of course, who I'm working with. And is it going to be the word battle, loose, trust, kind of finding that cue word that kind of taps them back into that that mode that they like. Um, but at the same time, I think patterns are really helpful. They're calming. If you know you're going out wide, first strike forehand, that can be helpful for sure. Um, and so I, I do think having your mind on tactical, a two-shot combo or something can definitely um, uh, give you some, something to do that's pretty productive. So, Well, I, I think it's helpful in that at least it, it, it's a little bit of a nerve buster because you're instead of thinking about the closeout or yeah. maybe you're going to lose it, it's thinking about executing something that – that's a, that's a focus above, you know, that pressure moment. That you want to go to their backhand or you want to get in and, you know, sneak in on or something. And, um, you know, what are you going to do with the first serve? And, yeah, so I think absolutely because, look, occupying your brain for those 20-ish seconds between points is huge, right? You got to have things to focus your attention on or your mind. You need guardrails on the freeway. Otherwise, it could be a car, car wreck. Yeah, it's so true because it's like that's exactly when when the adrenaline is just going. And anytime I feel like in any situation when I have a lot of adrenaline, but there's not a specific channel to to put it towards. I mean, that's when you end up, you know, becoming a bit of a mess. Or at least for me, that's when I become a bit of a mess. So it's like if in those moments when the adrenaline's really pumping, you just have that that focal point and and that that place to put the thought the the thoughts. I mean, I, I feel like. It's just, it makes such a big difference. I guess the analogy, Zach, I'd use on that is, you know, you, you see a river, rivers, you know, uh, going down, it's grade two rapids, and, and we either get in there, we go down, you know, because we're caught in the thoughts and, oh, you know, swept away, or we get out on the bank and look and say, say okay, now what? Now what? Right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I have a, a high level D1 guy who was double faulting in his worst matches couple times a game I'm one to two he was in some matches really really bad and, and and of course that's where you get caught in it and you double fault once and then you think it's gonna keep going but again to accept you're gonna have errors I mean how many mistakes sure. you're gonna make mistakes out there so we can't get caught up in those we got to be able to move on quickly yeah Jeff I I don't know if there's any clinicalness to this I never asked anybody but I always told myself when I was five four up or six five up, I always and you know I once told this to Andre and he goes, "What do you think I'm yeah, an idiot?" I, I've debated him on this one. He too. goes, "What do you think I'm an idiot?" But I would always tell myself I was down, you know. So you know I don't have the game of protection to all of a sudden get broken and come back. So I would always tell myself when it was five four. Honestly, I would make myself think it was four five. I knew the score, but it was just something that I always did. Well, it says you were able to embody that moment and that sort of put yourself in that state, which I've done that same thing before. It's helped in, the, in a pinch. I pulled that out in emergency moments where that tension, that adrenaline was just rocket fuel. And I'd be like, you know, I would I would do the fake it till you make it program. And, and it worked a few times. No doubt. I, I like first, uh, I guess, first level of defense, you know, what we're talking about, shift the focus. You have a negative thought, it's fine, you know, get on the bank, okay, look at it, smile, move on, and, and focus your attention on your tactic. But that, that's certainly another tool in the toolkit if you need it 
to, to fake it till you make it, which, which can be helpful. Didn't work coaching Andre on that. He was like, man, you could fool yourself. but I'm not surprised. That's funny. And so the next thing we wanted to get into is just talking about that difference of players that that feel like they they play great in practice, but then everything sort of, there's just a big gap between how they perform in in matches and and just being able to, to close that gap between matches and practice. And I'm sure a lot of it is sort of already in line with what we've been referencing you know already but maybe for this specific situation if there's anything you've you've dealt with well you just described why i've i've, a, I've had a job for 22 years <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> right there you just that encompasses the uh the the career um yeah you know it's um when when and we all know that you know, matches are nothing like practice and i think part of it play the the misperception is that matches are going to feel like practice and they're not you know, and I think it's an interesting sort of it's a some some maybe illusion that we're going to feel exactly the same way in practice. Wouldn't that be nice? Well, it's never going to be that way. You're never going to. And thankfully, because it's matches are, are, are fun and, and engaging and for some a little too scary. But, you know, when I'm practicing for, for a tournament, a big a national, you know, uh, that I'm still playing, I I actually play looser than I normally would certainly looser than even a tournament. Cause I I'm tapping in almost like you see fed walking and Brad, you've seen him up close a lot, but fed's got this level of looseness that no other player I've seen when he's on, you know, when he gets tight against Joker, it's another ball game, but, but this sort of, he's baked in this uh, way of hitting the ball and there's a looseness to it flexibility and, and that I feel like the more, and again, I use a dial with this to help players access and identify and familiarize themselves with this feeling of being loose when they play. So it's a little more automatic. It's a little more accessible in a match, not that they're fixated on it, but it's just available a little bit more. So I think, you know, translating again, coming back to just re um, reframing the, the meaning of, of, a, of a match, a tournament match, and, and what do you really want to get out of this? Do you want to win? Of course you do. And how are you going to do that, right? And, and, and this is Brad's wheelhouse. So how, how are you going to do it? What are the things you're going to do? What are you willing to commit to? How important is this to you really? Is this just, you know, lip service? Or you really want to, you know, step in on your returns? And do you really want to get to the net? I found Jeff over the last 15, 20 years from parents and, you know, players that, you know, maybe I do a little evaluations with, I've heard more often this phrase about they can do it in practice and which always leads me to believe it's much more of a problem for me if you can't do it in practice and then you can just magically turn it on in matches. Occasionally there are some of those players, but I do feel like if you can do it in practice, there is just some something that's missing, but it it is there potentially for you to be able to do it in a match. Well, that's what uh, Brad. That's what really I think uh, torments parents, kids, you know, club players for sure is that this awareness, right? And this is you know, it was at the source of my beginning of my transformation of saying, I'm not okay with this. I'm better than than what I should. I'm better than 795 in the world. I, I, uh, it, it didn't sit well with me, you know? And, and so 
uh, if you're curious enough, if you're willing enough to look and experiment, uh, so you can feel good at the end of your career, you know, you can lay your racket down and say, I, you know, I did all I could, but I think you're, you're right. That, that, that awareness that you're better than, you know, what you're showing in tournaments is, is, uh, really frustrating for a lot of players. And, and I believe you can, you can bridge that gap for sure. So I, I'm like a little bit crazy and like you, you, you're talking about the number, like I never, you know, I used to say the computer doesn't lie and I never worried about anything about this. And it's funny, is it, it with in seeing so many different players, it's amazing. It comes down so often this practice, you know, and obviously matches, you keep score for a reason because you're going to, you know, that's what decides everything. But I do feel like I learned more about my tennis from practice from Andre, how like his practice like I never went through a period where if I had a bad practice, I felt like it could actually affect me in a match. If Andre had a bad practice, it would almost mean like the tournament's over. He would be, and I'm like, dude, it's just one practice. You know, we'll get a little afternoon. And it was like, really? I mean, it was like hardcore. And I I never experienced that from myself until I saw it from Andre. And so it it is pretty amazing people's perception of practice. And, and Roth is pretty, pretty obsessive, isn't he? You know, when he he wants things dialed in and that feeling and so forth, right? He's actually, you know, of of all the players that I've seen, he's he's made an interesting transformation in the last few years because I've studied him a ton in practice. He redlines now much more than he ever did. He was much more like an Andre or much more perfectionism in practice. But now, like, if you go courtside, guys playing like 20% bigger on every shot than you see in the match. It's almost like his way of like, he's going hard, but he's just going fast. Interesting. So the matches, uh, the matches are sort of, are easier. <laughs> yeah, he's actually dialing back a gear. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 you know, he's exposing himself, you know, because I think, you know, the other part of this is that it's a great topic, actually, you know, worthy of even more conversation that players, particularly juniors, but I, I put club players in there and they, they don't practice well. The quality, their intensity, their, their, there is no adrenaline and, you know, they're playing a, a kid they really want to be. But no, I watch these kids are, you know, a lot of times they got the cell phone and they're looking on the chain, like to treat practice you know i used to uh, before a big event i'd visualize the, the the stadium court i'd visualize where i might be playing if i'm going to be in the finals or i want to i want to picture that moment and to put some pressure on yourself in practice so when you're in the tournament it's not like whoa this is a you know a flood i wasn't expecting this so i think you can practice better i think the quality of practice and putting some more even internal pressure on yourself. Um, you talk about faking it, you know, in terms of being being down. F- pretend you're in a match, in a tournament, and I think there's value in that. Uh, so, uh, yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah, we actually had a, a previous episode where he had his friend uh, uh, Vinny Van Patten on, and they used and they talked a lot about simulating pressure, and, and they would they would you know in this situation like put money on on their on their practice matches, but. You know, betting aside, it was it's an interesting like tool in terms of like 
creating that element of pressure and putting more onus on, on a practice match that you wouldn't feel otherwise when, when there's all of a sudden a little bit more skin in the game, you know, essentially. Yeah, yeah. You remember Earl Woods with Tiger early on. He's there rattling things behind him. And, and, and you know, I've taken, uh, you know, kids and, you know, players who, who've had a really, really intense inner critic where just beating themselves up. I'll get behind him and I'll, I'll have him write down. Tell me, what, what are you telling yourself? You know, give it to me. And, and then I'll get behind him and I'll, and I'll just be saying this stuff to them while they're serving. You know, Interesting. you're going to lo- you're going to lose this, you know, you say, look, it's going to be terrible if you lose. This is a big match, big point. You know, how could you, you know, et cetera. Anyway, and get expose them to their own negative thoughts because that's what haunts them out there. They're, they have these thoughts and they're like, oh no, get anxious. And I, and you just desensitize them. You just, you know, give it to them. And then they start laughing and then they're serving fine. I, I was going to say, have you ever done the exercise of like sort of giving the giving the negative thoughts uh, a, a name so so you're you're, you're distancing the, yourself from the negative thoughts like and, and just realizing that it's, it's not you it's this you know tunnel vision you're getting but if you can sort of give that negative persona a name it's, it's easier to laugh at essentially like and just like how you're saying once you get it out in the open it's easier to laugh at 100 100 you know it's called externalization you externally you take that inner voice and you externalize it, and now it's sort of this thing. And with younger kids, say, you know what, we're competing against that guy, you know, for and uh, and and just taking that out of it's me and caught up in themselves and all this stuff. Because and normalizing the fact that we all have negative thoughts, so uh, it's not a big deal. Yeah, maybe there's that. Maybe there's hope for me still in all of this. Listen, yeah, I know there is. It, yes, this is a tricky one. How do you get players? to get out of a funk, you know, where they've lost three, four, five matches in a row. And it's almost like one of them too, maybe they had five, two and a third, 40, 15, lost it. And it's almost like they're losing before they start. Yeah. You know, this, I'm so, I was surprised to read this, but there's actually research on most, you know, successful athletes have had to overcome some, difficulty in their life on or off the court you know they've gone through a stretch been brutal you know um and and that struggle that you know going deep in the in the darkness or low confidence or thinking they're not gonna i mean andre is a great example right of, of falling back to 138 or whatever it was and climbing back up with your help i mean you know and you helped him transform i mean he was a perfectionist i don't know but you helped him and um, and so when they're in a funk, it's this sort of stepping back and, and realizing maybe this is for a purpose. You know, you could, what can you learn from this? And they start to feel like they can almost leverage this pain for good. And uh, yeah. I, I mean, I try to tell players that every Monday, doesn't matter what, if you're in college, juniors or pros, it's the start of a new 52 week ranking period. So what happened last week, so if you've lost three or four in a row, once again, try to trick yourself, but it's starting fresh. It's like, okay, let's put a positive result this week. And so I feel like if you start to think about, you know, the loss, it will come more. So that's why I I try to think about or spin it to something positive. And, you know, I'm not a psychologist, but I'm just the eternal optimist that I'm I'm trying to find a way because I figured 
if the player is going south, it, it doesn't help for the coach to be going south. No, and I completely agree with you. You know, every match is a new opportunity. Like to be caught up in the past and have that be dictating your your emotional state for the for here we are two weeks. That was two weeks ago. I mean, that's that's a hundred years ago. It should be like, look, this is fresh, clean slate. I'm really big, you know, if you peel it all back, I don't want to be a victim of my of, of, of the score. I don't want to be a victim of myself. I don't want to be a victim of my emotions, et cetera. So and and I try to empower the players I work with to 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 take ownership over that and and start fresh. This is a new day. We can't, no matter how much we worry and wish yesterday you got that seven, six, and the third, you cannot get that back. You can't, and I know it's an obsessive you know, tendency to keep, you know, cycling that through, but which I did as a kid, I, I, I hated losing points, but it would last games. But, you know, you got to develop that discipline, that filter in your brain, and you got to be able to flush the toilet out there. So. <laughs> I, I do like what you said about sort of taking this, these losses or, or sort of like a, a quote unquote failure and leveraging it, um, you know, as like a, as a learning situation. Like I, this is a random example, but I even was just reading about um, NASA in the early days of the Apollo missions. They refused to hire any astronauts that that listed zero history of failure in t- in terms of their applications for NASA because they're like, you know, obviously this is it's in this situation. I mean, it's life or death death implications, but they needed people that were comfortable having already overcome a, you know adversity. And, and, you know, that's an intense example, but I think it, it really relates to, to sport as well, for sure. 100%, you know, because you learn, you just, at some point you're going to, you're going to hit a wall. You're going to hit, uh, uh, have a, you got to be able to figure out, do you go up around or through the wall? At first you start, you try to, you bang your head, hoping, hoping the wall will break down, but, you know. Hey, Jeff, my first, you know, kind of foray in sports psychology, like whew, almost 40 years ago, Alan Fox, my coach at Pepperdine. I'm playing one of my first matches. I, I'm so, I mean, listen, I want to just smash my stick. I'm I'm down five, two and a third, double break to this guy that I should be rolling. He walks on the court really slowly, kind of looks at me and I'm I'm ready for him to say something, you know, deep about my game or tactics or anything like that. He's like, you got the guy exactly where you want him. He's about to just blow a gasket. He walks off the court. I, I just completely look at him that like, I can't believe that he just came out. He hadn't been out all set. And that's what he had to say. So the next seven minutes, I just was thinking about like, I can't believe that he said that. I went on to win 20 of the next 21 points. Wow. And then and then he and then he said to me afterwards, it's like, you see, I woke you up. He gave you a little. He gave you a little belief there, or it just—it was like it was some interesting, like little twist. Because m- more often than not, in that situation, it would be about tactics that maybe you could try something. Mm-hmm. But he just—and it's like almost you got to laugh about something sometimes, and then it makes you looser. Well, and I yeah, totally agree, and it also brings you back to how we can get so caught up in our own situation right our own ourself our nerves are and then we'll look across the court and you don't know what you that guy's got a lead and brad we know what happens with many many players when they have a lead right so he said a, the right thing because 
you win a game or two, even down 5-0, 5-0, which is a pretty big gap. But you lose, you know, you lose a few games, 5-0, 5-1, They're starting to think a little bit. So yeah, every point you just, it's never over and there's no time limit, right? You got to love that. All right. This is one I got to say for you last. Are there any areas, medical side, mental side, mental side, excuse me, that that are just so challenging or they're the hardest to overcome in a player? You know, a, an area that you work with a player that's the most challenging to overcome, like an area or something that's really setting them back. Well, I guess um, I'd say two things. Uh, one kind of almost a synopsis of, of our conversation today, which is the the willingness, openness, flexibility of mind, if you will, to explore an, a new way of being or playing. And so, you know, approaching tennis, which they've been playing for 20 years plus or whatever the, the number is, and, and sort of having them connect with you and be willing, operative word, to, to do some of the things, um, stepping in on a ball that you, your body just says, I want to I want to brace, I don't want to do that. Your mind says you should, quote, go for it. So getting them to commit, engage, that, that can be challenging with some particularly younger players. But so, so that flexibility is key, personality-wise, openness. Um, and I, I guess the other is, you know, the, the, the serve right can really get players even really good players and uh where it, it can go down into that downward spiral pretty quickly and and then it can become a chronic problem and scar tissue is pretty and that that can be hard for players and that takes a little more um some of the things i talked on court and doing some some fun things to loosen that whole program because it's literally like scar tissue there serve it's the only shot we control completely like golf, we initiate it, and the mind it can just play play tricks on you. So that I'd say is is the one that when people come to me, I've had a number of serve phobia situations, league, pro, college, and and that's I actually enjoy it now because I've I've dealt with the yips in different sports as well. So, uh, but th- I'd say those two two factors. I'm curious, like when you work with a player, a high level player, or a really junior, a really good junior. Do you work with like the parent or the coach or do you, are you just strictly stay with the player? Yeah. So I really try to empower the player uh, predominantly, but there are definitely situations where I'm I'm working with the parents a little bit more and the coaches too. Uh, I do like for everybody to be on the same page, speak in the same language. So that's crucial so I really believe in open open communication. I love to get feedback and honest feedback, what's working, what's not. The sooner we find out what doesn't work, the sooner we'll find out what does work. But either way, like openness between all the you know constituents is is crucial, you know. I think you would like like I mean you could probably write a hundred pages on me because you know playing aggressive, fearless, all this thing. And my natural instinct, you know, I've told Zach this, you know. Everything is, you know, I love competing, but for some reason, my natural instinct is to try to not miss, you know, or to, to be safe, and it, which probably ultimately held me back to, to going to another level. But I actually never thought about like how you talk about 
being free, being aggressive. I, it's much easier for me to see that as a coach. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, look, if, if, if I didn't be absorbed that voluntary forehand, you know, that, that's got a lot of, um, a lot of airtime and reinforcement, you know, just being able to really crack a forehand because that's the weapon I have, you know, I'd say maybe serve now a bit more, but I can crack still at coming up on 54 next week. I can still crack a pretty good forehand personally. And so I think that, uh, you know, having a weapon, you know, it's pretty fun to be able to pop one down the tee or hit a big forehand and, and dictate and have somebody on the string a bit. That's, that's, uh, but, but so I understand like if, if um, I, you were masterful in, um, in taking your game, which was actually is, I thought pretty clean in a lot of ways. People didn't realize how deep you could hit, but you, but um, yeah, so I think every player needs to figure out what can they rely on, what's going to, as Connor says, you know, when he hears, oh, this guy's pretty good, what has he got? What has he got? Love it, buddy. I love your passion, enthusiasm, and just, you know, what you've learned from your kid to uh, when you were a kid to an adult to where you are now. It's, it seems like, you know, you're still learning and still growing in this game. Well, you, I guess you learn what you teach too. And uh, yeah, I appreciate that. I, I am passionate about it because I, I see, I feel what can be done if you, if you stick to the path, if you get on the path and then stick with it. But it, to me, to be able to tap your potential, whatever you're doing to and to feel like you're not tapping it, that's a, I'm passionate about that because we've got one life to live and hopefully it's a long one. And you know, and, and we, we get into better days here, but that we can tap our potential and uh, there's ways to do that, right? So, but thank you for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, buddy. We appreciate it and learned a lot. You know, I, I, I still feel like I'm learning a lot in this game, you know, because it's different as a player, as a coach and, and hearing your philosophy. And, you know, it's funny, I'm learning a lot from my son because I, I screwed up coaching him a bit. He's a little hard on himself, but... Yeah, we, 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 had, we had our moments, but yeah, no, I, I tons of good information here to, to digest. And yeah, exactly. It, it is always a, a learning process. And I love, you know, thinking of it just in terms of getting, you know, doing what you can to get the most out of your, out of your abilities. Even if your kids don't think you're that good, I wake up every morning, Dad, my son says, Dad, Dad sucks at tennis. <laughs> he keeps me in my place, so... Anyway, yeah. thanks, buddy. Take care. Good to connect. See you soon. Take care. Thanks, Jeff.